Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, we continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at this great book, and Luke shows Jesus to be the, the perfect man, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. He is the one who died and rose again, paying for sin and conquering death. And we've been seeing his ministry. Of course, it's been in the northern part of Israel, but we've come to this turning point. He's on his way to Jerusalem to pay for sin and to die on the cross. He is the Savior. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've been seeing his conflict with the religious leaders. It seems to get greater and greater as he gets closer and closer. Several weeks ago, Jesus denounced the religious leaders. We saw his six woes, and what we saw was a really a good picture of religion. Religion is man seeking to please God. Christianity is God-pleasing God. Well, this morning, as we continue, there's two things we want to focus on. First of all, we want to see what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is this? We'll see that. And then we're going to deal, talk about dealing with possessions, our attitude toward things. There's going to be some more of that. In fact, even next week, there's a little bit more details on this as we go through it. How do we deal with things and what's really important? We want to gain from this section of God's Word as we see, first of all, theological truths, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and then some practical truths dealing with possession. So there's a lot there as we go through it. Several years ago, a person came to me, and they said, I have a problem. And I said, well, what's your problem? They said, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. And I said, really? I said, well, what, what did you do? And the person said, I, I don't know. I just think I did it. And I said, well, what is the unpardonable sin? And I asked the person, I said, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? And they said, yes. They said, I believe that he died on the cross for me and rose again. I've trusted in him and him alone to give me eternal life. I said, well, how long does eternal life last? And the person said, well, it lasts forever. Then I said, understand, there is not a sin that you could do that would keep you from heaven because you have eternal life. This raises the question is, what is the unpardonable sin? And is there something a person could do that would keep them out of heaven? And as we look at this passage this morning, we see some verses that are sometimes confused and, and bother many people. Jesus talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And is this the unpardonable sin? What is it? How does all this fit together? I pray that you'll be comforted as we look at this passage this morning and see what Jesus is teaching. Well, as we begin, let's think about the chapter. Luke chapter 12 is a long chapter, and there's a lot in there. I want to break down the chapter for you. We've seen this before in Luke chapter 12, standing for Christ against the religious leaders. We're actually going to start at verse 10 because it already deals with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Then we're going to see dealing with possessions. That's verses 13 through 21. We'll get that today. Then seeking the kingdom. And that also goes back and deals with the idea of possessions. We'll see that more next week as well, looking for his coming, powerful, because we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, and we'll mention the first coming, the second coming, and even the coming in the clouds, and then finally, Christ brings division, that's the end of the chapter, and that's true, because when you start... When you start talking about Jesus Christ, it divides people, and we'll see that. In our section this morning, two things we're going to look at. One, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that verses 10 through 12. What exactly is this? And then we're going to talk about dealing with possessions and our attitude toward these things, verses 13 through 21. And as we begin, let's start with this hard subject, the one that people say, what does this mean, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What is this? How does it fit with the unpardonable sin? And so as we begin, I want to raise three questions for you to think about. Number one, what is the context? of this subject when we look in the passage. Number two, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Number three, what is the unpardonable 
sin, and we'll see how that fits together. Well, let's start first with what's the context. And as we look at this, Luke chapter 12, verse 10, notice what it says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but he who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Well, we find that Jesus makes a statement because it actually ties back to an event that happened earlier. In chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, here's what happened. Jesus, he was, Jesus was casting out a demon, or he, he was casting out a demon, it was mute, and when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed. So Jesus cast this demon out of this man. But some of them said, the Gospel of Luke tells us some of them, the Gospel of Matthew tells us the religious leaders said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, which is Satan, the ruler of the demons. So what is the context of this passage? The religious leaders were saying that when Jesus did his miracle, when he cast out the demon from this person that he was doing it from the power of the devil. You have to go to Matthew chapter 12 verses 24 through 30 and also Mark chapter 3 verses 22 through 30 and you see the same event where Jesus cast out the demon and the religious leader said, Jesus is from the devil. That's where he gets the power to do this. We're going to see in the whole passage, both in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus ties this together, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the unpardonable sin. So we'll talk about that. So the context, Jesus is doing ministry. Religious leaders say he's from the devil. Jesus calls this the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the unpardonable sin. That takes us to our second question then. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, literally speaking, well, literally, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is speaking evil of the Holy Spirit. When he says, and everyone who speaks the word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him, but he who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, that means to speak evil of the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. When they said that Jesus was doing his ministry in the power of the devil, they were saying that he was from the devil and that his power is from the devil and that Jesus' power was actually the Holy Spirit. And so you could say it this way, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is attributing the works of Jesus to the power of the devil and not the Holy Spirit. Look what Jesus says, verse 10, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. See, to be critical of Jesus, he says, well, that's okay. You can, you can do that. But to blaspheme the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven because they were saying the Holy Spirit is the devil. That's what they're saying. See, they're saying the power Jesus has to cast out these demons and to do his miracles is from the devil. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to call the Holy Spirit the devil, and to say that Jesus is from the devil. It's powerful. And let me tell you, it says it will not be forgiven. Why? Because if you say that Jesus is from the devil, he's not the Messiah and the Savior, and you're not believing in him as your Savior. That's why it's not forgiven. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to say the Holy Spirit's the devil, and that means Jesus is from the devil and that he's not the Savior. The third question then is what is the unpardonable sin? It is to say that Jesus is from the devil and you're rejecting Jesus as Savior. That's what it is. And there is no forgiveness for that because truthfully, any time a person rejects Jesus for any reason to say, I do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, I do not believe Jesus is my Savior, there is no forgiveness because forgiveness of sin comes by faith. 
Acts 10.43 and Acts 13.30-something. You know, 32, I believe, is the verse. 10.43 and 13.35. And those verses tell us that when you believe, you have forgiveness of sins. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you do not have forgiveness. To call Jesus the devil and the Holy Spirit the devil, you are not believing in him, and that's the unpardonable sin. So understand this. Ultimately, the unpardonable sin is rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior. One might say, well, I hope I don't commit the unpardonable sin. Unless you have rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you say, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe He's the Savior, I don't believe that He's from God, I don't believe He's the one who died on the cross and paid for sin, I'm not trusting Him for salvation. If you do that, you will not have forgiveness. The closest thing today that a person could do the unpardonable sin or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to say this. They could say, I think, I believe that when Jesus was on this earth and he did his miracles, he did that in the power of the Holy Spirit and that he's not the Savior. That's as close as you're going to get to it today. So when Jesus says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, saying the Holy Spirit's the devil, it will not be forgiven him. So the unpardonable sin and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit go together because it's attributing the works of Jesus Christ to the power of the devil, thus calling the Holy Spirit the devil and rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior. I hope you guys this because I've had people over the 22 years I've been here come up to me and say, what's the unpardonable sin? I hope I don't do it. I, and I say, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Oh, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Then truly, you can't do the unpardonable sin. You can't reject Him if you've already trusted in Him as Savior. You may disown Him, you may deny Him, and you may reject Him in that sense, but once you trust in Christ as Savior, He gives you that exact moment, eternal life, and you are saved forever. That's good news. Now, He wants to encourage these men because He's just told them this powerful statement, and then He turns to His disciples and He says this, he says, when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you're going to say in your defense or what you will have to say, for the Holy Spirit would teach you in that very hour what, you want to, what he wants you to say. He wants to encourage these men because after he dies on the cross, pays for sin, rises again, walks on the earth for 40 days, and then is taken back to heaven, they'll be left alone on the earth. He's sending them the Holy Spirit. He's already told them, we're going to see it in, in that upper room part where he says, it's expedient, it's good that I go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. When he comes, he will be inside of you and he will empower you. He even says he will teach you. He wants to encourage them because when he's gone, the Holy Spirit is the power and the strength. Notice what he says. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. He said when they arrest you later on, when they grab you and they bring you up because they're going to stand for Christ and when they stand for Jesus Christ, they're going to be against them. They're going to grab them. They're going to arrest them. He says don't worry about what you're going to say when that time comes. Because the Holy Spirit is the power. Notice he says, oh, what are you going to say? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will bring to mind the things that you need to say. He is telling these men that when the time comes, the Holy Spirit will be there to empower them and to instruct them during this time. And there's a great truth for us. It's the same that when we stand for Jesus Christ in this fallen world, the Holy Spirit is the power for us. When we trust in Him, He comes to live in us. First Corinthians 6, 19. 
19. What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you, and he will bring to mind truths and principles that you have learned from God's Word so you can be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within you. Now, I want to clarify this. It didn't say that you've never studied the Bible and suddenly the Holy Spirit's going to tell you all this. It doesn't say that. It says that as you study the Scripture and as you put God's Word in your mind, when the time comes, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the truths that you have been taught and that you've learned and that you know so that you can be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us. So as you study the Scripture and as you know God's Word, the Holy Spirit instructs us and empowers us as we stand for Jesus Christ. We want to do, as the Second Timothy passage says, study to show ourselves approved. A workman need not be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of God, you need to study it so you can stand, and when the time comes to stand, the Holy Spirit will empower you and bring to mind the things you have studied and know so you can stand for Jesus Christ. So it's powerful. This first little section, he talks about, bless me the Holy Spirit, I want to remind you, bless me the Holy Spirit is calling the Holy Spirit the devil and saying that Jesus was from the devil and that he's not the Savior. And if you bless me the Holy Spirit, call the Holy Spirit the devil and reject Jesus, there is no forgiveness. He then instructed them and said, don't worry, after I'm gone, when the time comes, the Holy Spirit will empower you and bring to mind the things you need to say. It's powerful. Now, from this, as we continue on in the passage, we see this whole issue, some things about possessions. What should our attitude be toward possessions and things and money? Because he's going to spend really from the beginning of about verse 13 all the way over to about 34. We won't see all that this morning. He's going to deal with this issue of things and possessions and what you should live for and what you should seek, what you should go after and We need to talk about so often when people think about things. They think, you know, things are important. And and how should we view things? Because we're in a fallen world and the pools are there. Let me give you some things. First of all, I want you to understand this. All that we have comes from God. First Chronicles 29, 11, and 12 says, God, your greatness and power and glory and victory and majesty. Indeed, everything that is in heaven and earth is yours, and you have the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself, and both riches and honor comes from you, and you rule over all things. Chronicles 29, 11, and 12 says, God's in control of everything. He is the creator. He makes everything. Everything belongs to him. And everything that we have comes to us from him. So that's the first way we need to think about possessions. And you say, look what I got. No, 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 no. Not what you got. What God gave you. That's how we should look at it. Number two, life does not consist of what we have. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 in this passage, he says... Um, he says, be, be on guard, be aware. And he says, for even when one has abundance, his life does not consist of his possessions. See, there's a lot of people say, what's your life about? Look what I got. I got this car. I got this house. I got this thing. I got this. Listen, it's not things. They come and go. They're temporary. You get something new, guess what's going to happen? It's going to break. It will. The focus is on relationships, your relationship with God and your family and your friends. So life is not what you have. It's who you know. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ, your relationship with your family, and your relationship with your friends. The third thing is God will supply all our needs. Not every want, but every need. That's a promise. 
He will make sure we have what we need. We are not to worry or to struggle. In fact, next week's passage starts off about all this worry. And he says, why are you worried about certain things like what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear? That's what he gets into. God will supply all our needs. And then here's the last thing. We should use all we have for God's glory. Everything we have comes to us from Him. He'll supply it. We're to use it for His glory. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Therefore glorify God in your body. Verses 19 and 20. He gave it to us. We're to be wise stewards of what He has given to us. As we grow in our relationship with God, loving God and loving others, God always supplies what we need, and we're to take what God has given to us and use it for His glory. That's the overall attitude to things. Now, we live in a country that says things are, things are the key. you got to have it. The more you got, the better you are, the more successful you are, the more important you are, the more. When the Word of God says that the most important thing is your relationship with God and your family and your friends and everything you have comes to you from God and He's going to give you everything that you need and everything that He gives you, you're to use it for His glory. His glory. Now let's see what happens. There, this this person shouts out in the crowd. Notice verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, as Jesus has been teaching, some man just shouts out and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. See, in a family inheritance, sometimes even before the father died, he would take and whatever number of sons he had, the oldest sons got a double portion and he would give it out to the rest of the sons. Well, one of the sons is saying, you know, I think I'm getting gypped in my family, and so I'm going to come to Jesus, and he's like a rabbi, and he'll arbitrate for me, and he'll make my brother divide the inheritance the way it should be divided. And so he said, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. He wanted Jesus to take charge, because what he's afraid of is not getting his stuff. See, I want my stuff. Jesus, would you get over here and you tell my brother I want to get my stuff. I want to get what's coming to me. Because see what's really important. My stuff. That's what's important. My stuff. Notice how Jesus answers. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? The word man is fairly a strong statement. He looks back at him and goes, man, who appointed me? I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to arbitrate this for you. But Jesus is going to address an issue. It's not the issue of the inheritance. It's the issue of greed. Because the real issue here is not, I want to make sure everything's divided correctly. The issue is, I want my stuff. Greed. And look what he says. Verse 15. He said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even one has abundance does his life consist of possessions of his possessions. He says, watch out for greed. Let me tell you, greed is this. Greed is desiring more and more. It's the love of things. We often call it materialism. It's that idea of, look, I've got to have one of those, and I've got to have, got to have that new phone. I've got to have this new thing. The newest computer just came out. I've got to get a new car. I've got to get these better clothes. I want four shirts. I want five shirts. I want ten shirts. I want all these pairs of shoes. I want this. I want this. I want a better house. The house we got is big, but it's not big enough. And I want a better this, and I want a better this. And that's what's going on in our lives every day because the world is telling you you're not going to be happy unless you have the right toothpaste, the right shampoo, the right car, the right clothes. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be fulfilled. 
And greed is saying, I've got to get this stuff. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, whoever loves money will never be satisfied. You know why? Because how much do you need? You need just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I look, I got 100, I just need 102. I get 102, I get, well, I just need 105. I mean, whatever you think you need, you really need just a little bit more because it's never satisfied. 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It's the love of money. Not money. Love of money. Materialism. Our nation is so tied up. We are the richest people in the world. I mean, our poor people are rich. Just compare us to any other country in the world. We've got so much. We have with this our natural pull for sin, to do wrong, and we want more and more and more. Remember, everything we have comes to us from God. We're to be wise stewards of what we have. We're to use it for His glory. And the key is abundance doesn't make life. He said, even when one has abundance, does not his life consist of his possessions? It doesn't. Things are not the key to life you will struggle if you think things are going to make you happy no way if you think having certain things if the goal of your life is saying i want to get this and you know i'll be satisfied when i get a good car because my car's not very good i'm a college student it's pitiful one day i'm going to get a good car when i graduate even though i owe thirty thousand dollars in student loans you know i'm going to get a brand new car i'm going to do this and i'm going to do this and I'll, you know and i'll be happy once i get the car once i get the house once i get this once i get the, that will not make you happy Number one, that things wear out and break and tear up. And there's always some new thing that comes out. And what you say is, I had this, but there's a new one now. And it's a lot better. And so then I'll be happy when I get the new one, which is a lot better. And then you get the new one. And you go, the new one's really good, but you know what? There's a newer one. That's the way it is. Things don't satisfy. The abundance of life is not life. Things are not the key. Life is relationships. The key to your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ, your relationship with your family, and your relationship with others. When you are dying, you're not going to care how much is in the bank. You're going to make sure that you know Jesus Christ is Savior. You want your family with you when you are dying. And you want your friends. You could care less about the newest cell phone that comes out when you are dying. Just remember, the most important thing in life is not your things. It's God and family and friends. So what does Jesus do? And he hears this. He's going to tell a story. He's going to tell a parable because he says, "Listen, be on guard, beware against every form of greed. For not for not even one has abundance does his life consist of this." And he told them the parable, verse sixteen: The land of a rich man was very productive. Now we're going to see a man who loves things, doesn't love God. He loves things, and his whole life is built around his things. Watch what it says. He told this parable saying that the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, you know, what shall I do? 
since I have no place to store all my crops. Because, see, I keep getting more and more stuff in. I got stuff everywhere, and I'm running out of room. What am I going to do? I don't have room to put all my stuff in. Better go get a storage place. Maybe I get get a second house. Maybe I better get this. Who knows what I'm going to do with all my stuff? He said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and I'll store all my grain and my goods. I'll just tear it all, tear stuff down, build even more. I'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. I got all, I got stuff everywhere. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now what should he be thinking about? I think we could... He should be thinking this, that everything that I have, all this stuff and this productive land and everything, that's from God. And what I should be doing with it is not saying, what am I going to do with all my stuff? It should be, how can I use it for the glory of God? And whenever we get anything in, we should save, we should give, and we should spend. And I teach people this all the time, especially when I do premarital counseling. I make them make a spending plan. It used to be called a budget. Budget sounds bad. So you say spending plan. And you say, here's the spending plan. And with everything you get in, you should save and give and use for the glory of God. And that's what he should be saying. But what did he say? I think I will just tear it down, build bigger ones. And then I'll say, so just take it easy. You know, there's no thought that God is... Bl- this man doesn't say, you know, God has blessed me so much. How can I use this for the glory of God? How can I take what God has given to me and use it? He says, how can I take what I've got and use it for me? In verse 20, look what happens. But the Lord said, but God said to him, you fool, which literally means you foolish one, you without reason, you haven't been thinking right. This very night your soul is required of you. You are dying today. This is it. And now who will own what you have prepared? What's going to happen to all this stuff that you just thought was so important? You're dying. You're going to die today. This is, your life is over. Who's going to get your stuff? So the conclusion... So is the man. This is what the man is like who stores up treasure, what? For himself and is not rich toward God. See, the rich toward God says, I see things from God's view and that I store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. I live for the glory of God. I see that everything that I have comes from God and He's going to supply every need and everything that I have is to bring glory to Him and to be used for Him. Now, I want to show you a passage. Hold your place. Turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. you got to see it. So turn over there. It's good. It's real good. It teaches us very practically how we look at our finances, how we look at our money, how we look at our things. Well, we've seen Jesus. As you're turning there, Jesus says that life is not your things. And if you spend all your time saying things, what's going to happen when your life is over? How do you view your things? We said it's from God. And it's just for His glory. And we should save and we should give and we should spend. Look what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. In this room, you say to yourselves, well, he's not talking about me because I'm not rich. Yes, you are. Every one of us in this room are rich. Compare us with the rest of this world. There are some people that have one shirt 
one pair of shoes if they have shoes. There are people who make $22 a year. That's their total income all over this world. There are people who live in places that we wouldn't let our dog live in. And you look around and compare yourself to everyone else in the world and you're going to have to say, we are the richest people in the world and we are the rich ones. And what does he say to us? Instruct those who are rich in this present world. That's us. Not to be conceited. Listen, who gave it to you? Who gave it to us? God did. Don't fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches. Easy come, easy go. Put your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Put your hope on God. He's given us this to enjoy. So instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Three things. Don't put your hope in riches. Number two, put your hope in God. And number three, do good and share. Everything that you have has been given to you by God for His glory. Use it to touch the lives of other people. He was this man. He had all this abundance. And all he could think of is, how can I keep my stuff Instead of saying, Lord, you have blessed me beyond what I could imagine. I want to use what you have given me for your glory. We are to live for God. Loving God and loving others. Not loving things. But using the blessings we have from God for his glory and to help others. Things are great servants, but terrible masters. You can either love God and others, or you can love things. We'll see next week when he talks about what you treasure, you love. Well, this morning we've seen two key things. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, dealing with possessions. May we grow and understand these truths from God's Word. Let me give you some applications. First one is this. Understand the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Understand what it is. A. It is attributing the works of Jesus Christ to the devil. It's calling the Holy Spirit the devil and therefore rejecting Jesus because he's not Savior. That's what it is. B, those who reject Jesus Christ have no forgiveness. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no forgiveness. That's just the way it is. That's why he says it won't be forgiven. Third thing, trust Christ as Savior. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room understand that it's not your good works, it's not your righteousness, it's not one thing that you could ever do to gain eternal life. Eternal life is a gift simply by faith in Christ. He died and rose again. He took our sin. He paid the penalty. He is the Savior. He has offered to every human being the gift of eternal life. And right where you're sitting... Right now, you can say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm trusting Him to give me eternal life. It's that simple. Second, put your emphasis on God and not things. Boy, it's, it's, it's very powerful. Because think about this. A, the key to life is relationship, not things. We're to love God and others, not things. And the key relationship is God and family and others. Things are all temporary. People are eternal. The Word of God is eternal and people are eternal. So put your emphasis on the eternal things. Knowing God, knowing His Word, and loving people. Things are just tools to be used. B, understand how we are to view material possessions. Number one, they are from God. They are. Everything we have comes from God. They're temporary. We don't trust things. We trust God. And number two is they are to be used for God's glory. Say to yourself, 
Lord, you have provided, you have given me all of these things. I want to use them for your glory. May we understand the issue of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and may we love God and others using things for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these truths. Help us to understand them and, and be able to put them together. Lord, we realize that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is attributing the works of Jesus Christ to the devil. It's saying the Holy Spirit is the devil inside Jesus and it's rejecting Jesus. And by rejecting Jesus, there's no forgiveness. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, when we think about things, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the things because that's the pull of our world. But Lord, we know the key to life is not things it's you and our family and others may we understand that everything we have comes from you that you supply all our needs and we're to use those things for your glory thank you lord for all of this we ask this in jesus name amen